We face a crisis of character today, both in our churches and in our country. It's easy today to find leaders who have plans, who have programs, who have personalities. But what is harder to find is individuals who are trustworthy, temperate, and tried. I said this happens both within and outside of the church. This happens outside the church when one is elected to an office, perhaps, even office of president, perhaps, because of his principles and his platform, but irregardless of his personal character. But this also happens within the church. We can see it if perhaps a church were to hire a previous megachurch pastor with known character flaws, or when individuals are chosen for their ability to speak or to lead in some notable way, but without the character that's been proven and shown to be in accordance with God's word. Everywhere the push is the same, to ignore the character and the personal life of the individual, and instead to focus on what they do and not who they are. So in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul has written to Timothy. He's giving him directions and instructions for how he is to minister in the church in Ephesus. And in chapter 3, Paul is explaining to him the requirements for those who are in positions of leadership in the church, church officers, those who have recognized positions in the church. In verses 8 through 13, Paul is going to give the requirements for the office of the deacon. And if you noticed when the text was read, the emphasis for these men, the requirements for them have to do not so much with their experience and their expertise, but rather with their character and the integrity that they already display. I want to read the passage again and I want you to again notice this, how much of the emphasis is on the character and the integrity that, this, that these men are supposed to display if they are to be chosen as deacons of the church. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So our text is going to bring us to see three requirements for Christian deacons. Now before I go into what those three requirements are, I want to answer a question that might be on your mind right now. You've come out this evening and you're looking forward to chili, but first, before you can eat that chili, you have to listen to a message on deacons. And you might be wondering, why do I need to listen to a message on deacons? How is this going to help me? I'm not a deacon. I'm not perhaps trying to be a deacon. So what does this scripture have to do with my own personal life? 
If you are a deacon, of course, I am sure that you'll notice how applicable this is because you'll be aware that this scripture talks directly to you and what is required of you. But for those of us who may not be deacons, let me give you three reasons why I think that this passage of scripture is very applicable to our lives and should cause us to pay attention. First of all, as the church, we are responsible for evaluating those who are in church offices or who are going to be deacons or who are already deacons. And as they continue to serve, they have to continue to demonstrate this character. So you need to know what's required so that the next time that you have to make that decision as a church body, as one of the members of this church, you know what to look for. So that's important. But also, a second reason is that we can learn from those who are currently serving as deacons what a faithful life looks like. Recently, as we were studying through Hebrews, we were reminded that we should study leaders as biographies for faith. And I think that we can draw a principle as well to deacons. We should recognize that these are individuals who display certain character qualities to an exemplary degree such that they have been chosen for this unique opportunity to serve as deacons. So we can look at these individuals, these deacons, and we can say they already have exemplified these character qualities. And this should cause us then to look at them and to learn from them and to study them as biographies of faith, as we have been reminded recently. What does it mean, for example, to be a man of dignity? Or what does it mean for a woman to be faithful in all things? Well, the scripture says these are requirements of deacons or deacons' wives, and so we can look at those who are currently serving and we can learn from them how we can also live out these character qualities in our own lives. A third reason that I think this is important for us is that we should all strive to live the type of lifestyle that this passage lays out. Don't think that this is only a requirement for deacons. It's what the Lord intends for all of his people to live in this manner. And so take this time to evaluate yourself and to consider, do you demonstrate these character qualities? How could you live your life in such a way that you're living out what is required of deacons? Because they're chosen as deacons and they have exhibited these character qualities, not because they're special or special type of Christians, but because they exemplify for all of us what we are all supposed to be living out. Now, before we look at the three requirements of deacons, I want to mention what exactly a deacon is, because it's a word that we know in a church setting, but this was actually a very common word in the ancient world. A deacon in the ancient world referred to an assistant of some sort. They were the sort of people who would arrange the dishes on the kitchen table. That was a common function of deacons, to set the table for other people, to enjoy a banquet or a feast. Sometimes deacons is a term that the ancients would use to refer to the assistance of a king. If a king were sitting on his throne, he would be surrounded by his deacons who would do the things that he commands them to do. What they all had in common is that they all performed rather menial, unglamorous tasks for other people. 
That was what a deacon was. But by the time of the early church, this word was used to refer to a certain class of church officers who assisted the elders in service so that the elders, the overseers, could focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. So what a deacon then does is he devotes himself to service. And service, as Jesus Christ himself teaches us, is an important part of kingdom life. In fact, you don't have to be a deacon in order to serve in Christ's church. Any Christian can be involved in service. But some individuals have been selected by the church for the specific office of deacon. So when we see the word deacon or the word to serve that is related to the word deacon, sometimes it's used in scripture to refer to those in that office, and sometimes it's used simply to refer to one who is going about works of service. So this is a reminder to us all that we can all do service, but some of us have been selected for this office of service, the office of the deacon. So with this understanding then of what exactly Paul is talking about, we can understand now the three requirements for Christian deacons. The first requirement is found in verses 8 through 10. Deacons require tested character. And here Paul gives us a sandwich of five character traits. And I call it a sandwich because he's going to start with a positive character trait. Then he's going to give us three negative character traits, and then again a positive character trait. So he's making a sandwich of five total character qualities. Let me read these verses again. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So the first quality that Paul references is that they must be men of dignity. We don't exactly have a word in English to quite describe what Paul is trying to communicate. But it carries the connotation of nobility, of being dignified, of being worthy of honor. You should be able to imagine a deacon as the sort of person that you could imagine to be a head of state or a judge or in some prestigious position. The idea of a deacon holding that kind of office shouldn't make you think that that's ridiculous because such a person isn't a buffoon. They aren't a ridiculous clown. They're someone who understands the seriousness of life and they behave themselves in a dignified way. So that's the positive character trait, and then Paul goes on to list three negative character traits. Each one of them indicates self-control over a specific area of his life, his speech, his drink, and his money. The first negative one is that a deacon must not be double-tongued. And this refers to one who would say one thing to one person and then says something else to someone else. These are people who play fast and loose with the truth, subtly adjusting their words and their story to make a different point depending on who they're talking to. They're able to spin their words. 
but they don't have, their words don't have a lot of grounding in the truth itself. Hence, a deacon is someone who has self-control in the area of his speech, that he speaks the truth and he speaks it well, and he speaks it consistently. He also has self-control in the area of drink. He is not to be addicted to much wine. Now, the word addicted here has the idea of paying attention to or being absorbed with or really being interested in something. Paul is not saying that it's okay to be addicted to a little wine. What he is saying is it's not okay to be consumed with or really pay attention to a lot of wine and to have that be a a thought that's often on the deacon's mind. A deacon shouldn't be someone who's really interested in drinking much wine. He isn't the sort of person who's always waiting for when he can get a great bottle of Chardonnay or eagerly looking forward to his next wine-tasting venture. He's not a person for whom that is a significant part of his life or with which he's consumed with or pays much attention to that. He's certainly not in any degree addicted to any wine at all. And so he demonstrates self-control in the matter of drink. And then he demonstrates self-control in the matter of wealth and possessions. A deacon must not be fond of sordid gain. In other words, turning a prophet is not a passion in this man's life. And while this is something that should be true of all believers, and we know that Christ often warned about the dangers of riches, the deceitfulness of riches, this is especially important for those in the role of a deacon because they are going to have, sometimes as they do service in the church, they are going to be involved in financial affairs. And those who are always passionate about turning a profit are going to find that the office of a deacon provides too many temptations for them to be financially indiscreet. So these are the three negative character qualities that each indicate something that a deacon should not exhibit. And then Paul closes out this sandwich with a positive character quality. A deacon must be someone who holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about mysteries, Paul often refers to mysteries. In fact, just in a few verses down in chapter 3, he's going to refer to the mystery of godliness in verse 16, which appears to have to do with the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But rather than spend a lot of time on mystery, because we don't have enough time to delve into everything that a mystery means to Paul, one man summarizes what we need to know about mysteries in the New Testament. He says, today, the word mystery, as we commonly use it, implies knowledge withheld. In the Bible, it indicates truth revealed. And a deacon is one who holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, this mystery of the faith refers to the teachings and the instructions that have been passed down by the church because they're found in Holy Scripture. And so a deacon is one who lives his life holding to these truths. And he lives his lifestyle, as it were, within 
the body of this truth. The truth about who Jesus is, the truth about the gospel, the truth of the faith that the church teaches that is found in scripture. The mystery of the faith, he is holding to it. He is living his life within it. He is engaged in these doctrines and these truths. And he does so with a clear conscience. Another individual points out from Paul's writings that one's conscience, it can be weak through immaturity, wounded through wrong, defiled by sin, and even seared to the point of insensitivity by repeated rebellion. There's many ways that you can have your conscience harmed. But a deacon is someone who doesn't have a harmed conscience. He has a clear conscience. His conscience doesn't accuse him of doing wrong, but it is sensitive to God's word. It doesn't accuse him continually of a sin that he is unrepentant and stubborn in. When he does wrong, it convicts him and he repents, but he lives his life with a clear conscience. And that's the way in which he holds to the mystery of the faith. Now in verse 10, Paul explains that these character qualities must be tested. And the way that he refers to this grammatically doesn't so much indicate a one-time test. This isn't like you necessarily have to take a deacon and sit him down with a long piece of paper and go through a number of checkboxes, although there may be some value in doing that. But more what Paul is getting at is that this kind of testing is a testing that involves a continuous process of observing an individual's life and seeing how they live within the context of the church. And so as the church is living its life together and worshiping together and serving together and fellowshipping and just living their daily lives, they can be observing individuals and seeing, do they meet the character qualities that Paul has laid out here? And they must first be tested. And if they pass the test, if they do indeed demonstrate these character qualities, then let them serve as deacons. Allow them into the, this office of the deacon if they are beyond reproach. Now this, I believe, simply summarizes everything that Paul has been saying so far. Beyond reproach doesn't mean that these are sinless, perfect individuals, but it does indicate that they are without the character flaws that could be used to accuse them of being unfit for the office. If they are beyond reproach, let them serve in the office of deacon. This is the first requirement, then, of Christian deacons, to, be, to have tested character. And the second character quality is they require faithful wives. This is found in verse 11. He says, women must likewise be dignified. Not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. A couple questions that we want to answer before we look at the specific requirements that he lays out. Does this mean that every deacon must be married? And the answer here is that Paul is not so much laying out a requirement for deacons to be married, so the answer is no, but rather his emphasis is on the type of woman that a deacon must be married to. If a deacon is married, this is a requirement of his wife, a certain kind of woman. Another question that many people have raised as they have come to this passage is, 
what exactly, who exactly are these women that are being referred to? He doesn't directly say their women or their wives. He simply says women. So is Paul referring to the wives of deacons? Or is he referring to a class of deaconesses, of females who are within the same office as the men that we just read about? Now, this is a big debate that goes on, and there's many arguments for and against, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here talking about that. But I'll summarize by saying that while there are individuals and even good Bible teachers on both sides of this question, and good churches on both sides of this question, in verse 12, Paul is going to go on and continue explaining requirements for deacons in verse 12, and he's going to talk specifically about the type of family life that these men exhibit. So it would make sense then that he would be referring to these women as the wives of the deacons, not a separate class or office in the church, but as the wives of the deacons because he's naturally transitioning now to the type of home life that these men exhibit. A third question that comes up as we look at this passage is why does Paul lay out requirements for the wives of deacons when he never laid out requirements for the wives of overseers only a few verses earlier. And this again, there's various arguments for why this is, but quite likely because these men are involved in service, and service often involves ministering to the least in Christ's church. We see that um, throughout scripture of the sort of ministry to those who are in poverty, and who are without physical possessions. Such type of ministry often involves serving both men and women in various ways. So it's very likely then that the wives of deacons have to have certain quality traits because they are going to be very involved in the same sort of ministry that their husbands are involved in simply because they are married to these men. And so they are also going to be serving in some way with these men, not perhaps in an official capacity, but as these men serve both men and women who are in need and oppressed. Now with that understanding then of what exactly he's talking about, let's look at the character qualities that Paul requires of these women. He says first that they must be dignified. This is the same word that he used in verse 8. Men of dignity, here dignified, it's the same idea. One who is dignified, one who is noble, one who is worthy of honor and respect. And then he goes on to say that these individuals must not be malicious gossips. They don't slander people. They don't spread stories about individuals. And a woman who is married to a deacon, because of his role, is quite likely to be involved in the lives of the different people in the church in such a way that she is probably going to learn some of the faults of the people that she's serving. And if she's getting involved in their lives and as she's learning some of the sin problems that they have, some of the faults that they're involved in, it's very important that she have the character that doesn't then go around and take that privileged information and spread it to other people and tell them something that she should keep to herself as a result of the ministry and service that she's doing. Also, she is temperate. 
This is sort of a catch-all word to refer to someone who is restrained in their conduct, moderate in their appetites and their lifestyles. She's a person who regulates her life well and is known for being level-headed. Paul sort of summarizes all of these requirements by saying that such a woman is faithful in all things. She's trustworthy. You can entrust her with any type of responsibility and you can know that it's in safe hands. She's faithful in the tasks given to her. She's faithful in the small things and therefore she's faithful in the large things. And that sort of faithfulness, that sort of trustworthiness is of course invaluable in the Christian life and among those who are involved in ministry and service. So women, you can also notice these ladies who are the wives of deacons. They are examples for you because they have been chosen by the church as their husbands have been chosen for the qualities that they've exhibited from scripture and these women also have been chosen because of the qualities that they exhibit from scripture. So look up to them also as individuals who can show you how to live the sort of lifestyle that God is calling you to also. As we've looked then at these requirements for deacons, we saw they require tested character, they require faithful wives, and they require one other thing, proven management. It's found in verses 12 and 13. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In their marital lives, Paul demands that Christian deacons are one-woman men. That's how you could literally translate this. Paul is explaining how their marital li- what their marital lives should be marked by. Devotion to a single woman, their wife. What Paul is saying here has to, go, has to do with far more than simply whether a man is a polygamist, which could have been a problem in the time of the ancient world. He's doing far more than simply saying that a deacon must not be a polygamist. He's describing the type of marital life that this man has. He is one who is devoted to his one wife. He's a one woman man. And so these men exhibit marital lives that are models of Christian marriage. They're also good managers, both of their children and their households. If you ever want to know what someone's leadership style is like, look at their household. Look at the way that they manage their home and their children. It's a laboratory for how they practice leadership. Someone observed that a man's home life and ministry will always follow similar lines of trajectory. So before they're even in the office of deacon, you can observe how they deal with people by seeing how they deal with their own household and with their own children. 
In verse 13, Paul provides a blessing on these individuals. He tells them something that they can look forward to if they've served well as deacons. And it really springs out of everything that we've seen already. He's saying it's so important that you choose men who have this kind of character, this level of integrity. It's so important, Timothy, that such men are chosen because if you choose the right men, if the right men are in this position, this office, and then they do their work well, they're going to obtain something wonderful. So that's why he appends this, to explain how important it is to choose the right individuals and something that they can then look forward to as they go about serving well as deacons. They obtain for themselves two very valuable things. The first thing that they obtain for themselves is a high standing. Now it isn't immediately clear what exactly this refers to. It's not referring to a sort of spiritual unlocked another level of the spiritual life. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying instead that such individuals because of the role that they're in, and because they're doing it well, individuals are going to naturally look up to them and give them some level of honor, both within the church and even outside of the church as they have and develop this reputation for service within the church. Jesus said that those who are greatest in the kingdom are those who serve, and this seems to be what Paul is getting at. Those who are serving well as deacons they have a high standing. They are worthy of respect. They are worthy of honor as they do their ministry well. They are worthy role models for us. The second thing that they obtain is great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. As an individual serves faithfully in Christ's church as a deacon, his personal faith in the Lord grows more and more robust. Service to Christ's flock is a powerful stimulant for your spiritual life. As you serve people, that's a good thing for your spiritual life. And so those who are in the role of a deacon get to enjoy a lot of that, a lot of that service and ministry to God's people which naturally has an effect on their personal faith in the Lord so that they become more bold and they become more confident in the things that they've believed. They find that they have more confidence and certainty in Jesus Christ. Their spiritual life is less turbulent and more rooted in the truth. They can speak clearly and with conviction about the things that they know are true from the Word of God. And that is certainly a wonderful blessing to go through life with. So we've seen then three requirements for Christian deacons. Tested character, faithful wives, and proven management. I want to ask you a final question. How does your Christian life compare to this list? Whether or not you are a deacon... Is your Christian life in such a state that you would be eligible to be in that office?
Again, this list is important for us because it's an example of what all Christians are called to in their lives. And finally, this passage is a reminder to us of the importance of service among Christ's people. And we can see these individuals as those who are providing an example of continual service, and that should motivate us to serve as well. Please pray with me. Lord, we know that Jesus Christ has given to his church various individuals in different roles, and all of that is to grow us all up together to spiritual maturity. We're thankful for those who serve as deacons in our church, Summit Woods Baptist Church. We pray for your blessing on them. We pray that they would indeed have this this, um, these blessings that are spoken of, the high standing and the great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We pray that you would protect them from the temptations that they face. We pray that you would bless their ministry among us. And we pray that each one of us would develop even more of a heart of service towards you and towards your people. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand